much. And uh, take your Bibles and turn, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, it's four Sundays, actually five Sundays, obviously, in December this year. And I'll be preaching, Lord willing, the next three Sundays. And there's four major bodies of portions of Scripture to deal with the first advent or the first uh, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm referring, of course, to Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, and Luke chapter 2. And Lord willing, we'll be preaching next Sunday from Luke chapter 1, the anticipation of his first and second comings. And then Luke chapter 2, two weeks from now, on the preparations for his second, first and second comings. And then, of course, on December 23rd, we'll be preaching on the presentations, looking at the wise men uh, for his first and second comings. This morning, we want to look at the prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophetic prophecies of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and regards to the first advent, or first coming, and the second coming of Christ. Our text verse is verse number 21 of verse number, or chapter uh, 1 of Matthew. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah saves, or Jesus saves. For he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus, according to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10, is the spirit of prophecy. Worship Jesus, for Jesus is the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you read through the scriptures and miss Jesus, you've missed it all. If you can read the scriptures starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and going all the way to Revelation 22 and verse number 21, the last verse, all the way between verse 1 and 1 of Genesis and the last verse of Holy Writ of Revelation, you'll find Jesus Christ over and over and over again. And here in the story of the first advent and the first coming, there were people that missed his appearance and they came right to the, his, he came right to their proverbial backyard. And you might have missed Jesus' first appearance, but don't miss his second appearance. Amen. Jesus is the, the reason for the season. He's the reason for every season. He's the, Jesus is the greatest person. He's the greatest power. He has the greatest promise. He is the greatest priority, God with us. And he has the greatest purpose. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. Amen. I want to look at this some prophecies this morning, this first message, the prophecies of his first and second coming, taking from primarily our first our text here before us, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The Bible says, Now on this, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Do we have time to, just, to speak of just this morning for just a brief few moments here? I want to deal with, first of all, the prophesied people of the first advent. The prophesied people. Now, there were several, actually, but the most famous would be none other than this Virgin Mary. The Bible says, never before in the history of mankind, by the way, never, never after in the history of mankind has a virgin ever been able to give birth to a child because there must be conception. But this event took place, and the Bible says how it would take place with this young maiden, this young woman, that she, would be, that she would give forth a child. She would be born. This child would be born and conceived by the Holy Ghost. This first coming is uh, the person that's involved is the Virgin Mary. The Bible gives a prophecy about this coming, an exact prophecy. And Isaiah, for time's sake, we won't turn to some of these Old Testament passages, but just hear me. Isaiah 7.14, the Bible says, 
as the prophet Isaiah was speaking to the king of Israel or Judah at the time, his name was Ahaz. And he gave an incredible prophecy 740 years before Christ came to this earth. He gave this prophecy. He said that, uh, therefore, the Lord himself, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Now, there's a reason why we use the authorized version or the King James Bible here. And one of the reasons is that some of the newer translations, newer and in some cases, I call them perversions. So some of these translations, they call in Isaiah 7, 14, a young woman shall conceive. There's a difference, last time I checked, between a young woman and a virgin. And not all young women, are, or not all virgins are, are young women and vice versa, I guess I could say it that way. The fact of the matter is, she was a young woman, no doubt, but she was also a virgin. And the prophecy was given, behold, the Lord himself shall, dis, shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. There's the prophecy of this Virgin Mary. Now, Mary was the most blessed of all women. I want you to know that's true. And we're Baptists, of course, and so we, we, uh, we honor Mary. We don't worship Mary. We honor her as the one that uh, was the, the, the earthly mother of the Lord Jesus. What a privilege. What an honor. And Luke talks about that. Luke chapter 1 talks about that privilege that she had, of course. But there's a heretical doctrine out there that was developed in 1854 by a certain world church. It's called the Doctrine of Immaculate Conception. It's a Roman Catholic doctrine asserting that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was preserved from the effects of original sin, from the moment of her conception. In other words, translation, Mary did not have sin. Well, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Now, Mary is a saint. So is Paul, a saint. So is Peter a saint, but you're listening to St. Marty. <laughs> and if you're a child of God, you're a saint as well. And uh, when Jesus, his family came to him, his mother came in Matthew chapter 13, and his stepbrothers and sisters came, and he had, must have had at least six stepbrothers and sisters. Read the passage of Scripture, Matthew 13 will chronicle it. And uh, the disciples said, Master, your, your, your family is, uh, wants to see you outside the gates. And uh, I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus said, Who is my mother or my brother or my, my sisters? But they that do the will of God. And every one of us that do the will of God, are, are, uh, we're in the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. But this lady was prophesied, this most blessed of all women, no doubt, got to bear the Christ child. And the Bible will give the prophecy 740 years before this event that took place uh, 2018 years ago where the angel came to, uh, to, to Mary and then to Joseph, of course, and revealed to her that she would bear the Christ child. By the way, this doctrine of immaculate conception was not even, it was officially formulated and defined by the Catholic Church by papal bulls, they call it, in 1950. It's only 50, 68 years old now, I guess, this man-made doctrine. Uh, but Mary was, uh, again, for the last time, a blessed lady for sure. So we don't deny that. So she's, we see the, this prophesied person in the Virgin Mary. But then I want you to fast forward. I want you to go ahead. And I'm talking to, let me make you feel real good right now. Let me remind you who you are. I'm talking to a bunch of sinners this morning. And all God's people said... Amen. I say, oh, me. <laughs> you know, we're all sinners. But we're, if we receive Christ as Savior, we're sinners saved by grace. Amen. And we got a lot of problems right now. Our Harvest Baptist Church, if you're looking for a church with no problems, don't come here because we got problems. Because <laughs> where you get people, you got problems. We're all sinners. And you're talking, you're listening to a sinner. 
a sinner saved by grace. But I'm also a saint. And one day I'm going to be sanctified. I'm sanctified positionally right now, but I'm going to be sanctified perpetually one day because in his second coming, there's a prophesied people, they're called the chaste bride. The chaste, see, it's on the, word, it's on the screen there, right? The chaste bride. You see, Revelation says that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. We are the bride. In Ephesians chapter 5, when God gives the analogy of the, the earthly marriage, he uses a heavenly, heavenly analogy. He says in Ephesians 5, 27, that, I, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. One day Christ is going to present us, he's coming for his bride. He's coming in the clouds, he's coming for his bride and his bride will be caught away and then later on, at least seven years after that fact, he's going to come with his bride to this earth. We're going to be robed, robed in white, white robes, uh, clean as uh, white as snow. We're going to be pronounced perfect. We're going to be justified as if we've never sinned. That I look forward to that day, the, 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 that day when our, our sins will be erased completely and we'll be, our, our memories will be wiped clean in regards to the, the sin nature and so forth. We'll, have, we'll, be, we'll be presented white and clean to the, as the Lamb's wife of Revelation 21 verse 9 says, as a bride to the, the, to the Lamb. Of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the prophecy, Matthew 1 chronicles the prophecy of his first advent, his first coming, but there's an allusion to his, the people of his second coming. And as Mary was the only one of her kind, the only woman the only that's ever given birth to a child that was virgin, miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, we are indwelt. You, no one will ever get to heaven that's not indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God that's been, been clean and watched, pronounced chaste and clean and white by the, by the one that will never leave us nor forsake us. We're so, so blessed. But then I want you to notice Again, in our text now, verse number 18 of chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. We really could start in verse 1. The, the, look what it says in verse 1. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ. And then we have the genealogy, uh, beginning with the son of Abraham. We want you, to, want you to know that there's a time period, the prophesied period of time when Christ would come. In his first advent, Galatians 4.4 4 summarizes in just a few short words, the period of time that Jesus would come, it says this, that in the fullness of time, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus came during a period of time, I remember learning this in public school, came during a period of time called the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome. Now that's a little bit disingenuous because there wasn't always peace. But overall, one minute quick history lesson, 300 year history lesson, about 37 seconds here. Beginning with Alexander the Great and Philip of Macedon, his father, and Alexander the Great in 330 BC. He took that little empire of northern Greece, what we know of Macedonia, and the 19 year old boy king traversed the world in the next 12 years, conquered the world, made a world language called Greek, called Koine Greek, common man's Greek. And uh, and united, it became the, the English of the day, the world language of the day, the dominant language. It's what our, our New Testament was written in, the Greek language. In B.C. 31, Octavius, you didn't know your Roman history, uh, defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra in the Battle of Actrium, it was called. And, of course, uh, he became the first citizen. 
be ushered in the age of 200 years of what we call, again, the Pax or the Peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. And it was during this time, Jesus put everything all together. God the Father, excuse me, put everything all together for a period of time. He had it all planned out, starting with even before uh, Alexander the Great. He had it planned out, and he had everything all, all designed so when his star came and that Christ would be born 2018 years ago, just on time, just on the perfect time. It wasn't, by, it wasn't coincidental. It was at a point in time where God said, okay, this is it. This is the perfect time. He knew it before the foundation of the world. And so this first advent, this period of time was pre-planned before the foundation of the world that Christ would come to this earth. Well, the same with the second advent, the second coming that is yet to in the future. It could be today. You say, I don't think so, preacher. Well, you might be right. You're probably right. I think we'll probably get through this day, but maybe not. Because the Bible says that the second coming, the prophecy was given very specifically. Let me give you Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39. The Bible says, but as in the days of Noah, or but as the days of Noah were. Now, by the way, there's a lot of people that don't believe that Noah ever existed, aren't there? They're scoffers. How many have been to the, the ark now in, in Kentucky? I'm just wondering. It's a handful of folks now. I've been there now. There's an ark in Kentucky. <laughs> it's a big boat. And it's a replica of, of a boat that was sailed some 4,000 years ago, a freighter. And you say, do you really believe that? I certainly do believe that. Amen. Noah was real. The ark was real. The flood was real. All those things were real. And here it is for some millennia later, and people deny it. They want to deny it. The Bible says, but as in the days of Noah, so shall also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Now, all those things in and of themselves are not bad. Eating and drinking, if you're drinking the right stuff, that is. And I like to eat and drink the right stuff. Sometimes not the right stuff, but uh, and that's another subject. But marrying and giving in marriage, the Bible says, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and next three words say this in Matthew 24, verse number 38, and knew not knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You see, there was an ignorance about his first coming. Noah would preach for 120 years that God is going to destroy the world, bring judgment to the world. And he was building a boat. They had a visual. They had a sign. And they, they, they mocked him for 120 years. And when the, the day came, the Bible says they knew not. We live in a nation of ignorance today. Ignorance that Christ came the first time, and more of an ignorance that Christ is coming again the second time. The Bible says in Luke twelve forty, "Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when ye think not." I would submit to you that there's an ignorance regarding His second coming, and there's an indifference with some Christians regarding His return as well. You know, there's, we seem to go through. I've been saved long enough now and been a pastor long enough to where I can, I've seen different time periods when we've gotten really sure that the Lord was coming back soon. I remember after 9-11, we knew the Lord was going to come before the October hit, right? There, I remember 2000, Y2K, remember that one? I remember certain periods of time where there was upheaval in the world and we said, Lord's coming back soon. And then there's times in our Christendom where it seems like well, he hasn't come. You know, we're living in a, our own version of Pox 
Americana, if you will, this own false peace that's going on right now. The economy's doing pretty decent and things are going all right. And we're not talking as much about the coming of the Lord. The Bible says, when, you, when in such an hour as you think not, then cometh the Son of Man. So the, God, the Bible gives us the prophecy, the specific prophecy of the period of time where you come the first time. It is chronicled here in Matthew chapter 1 in a period of time where he comes the second time. And of course, no man knows the day and the hour, but, but uh, God the Father and God the Son now. But I want you to notice thirdly, a third truth, making parallels between the first advent, first coming, and second coming. Here's the third one. Not only the prophesied people, the Virgin Mary and the chaste bride, the, the prophesied period of time, in the first century and yet to come when he comes again the second time, but then the prophesied places. If you turn just a page in your Bible, probably, well, I have to turn one page to Matthew chapter 2, notice verse number 2. We'll look at this, Lord willing, three weeks from now, this story in more detail. Saying, where is he, the wise men said, that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Uh, verse number, that was a good verse, but I wanted to read verse number, uh, or verse, I'm sorry, verse number one. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, notice the, the prophesied places. He, he, his first advent, would, would, he would come to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem, I've been to Bethlehem, now I've been to Jerusalem. They're only six miles apart. Bethlehem is smaller than Torrington. I just Googled it the other day. It's 25,000 people. The chief economy of Bethlehem is, you guessed it, tourism. Uh, millions of Christians from all over the world come into Bethlehem, and that's about the only economy they have. And it's six miles due south of uh, just a few minutes by car. Of course, you've got to go through security zones. And uh, this Bethlehem is the place that God said that his son would be born at. Now, when did God say it? Well, God prophesied it specifically 500-some years before he came to the very spot. You need not turn there, but Malachi, or Micah, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 2. Let me just quote it to you. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, just a small town in Israel, Bethlehem, yet... Out of these shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth is from, from old, even from everlasting. You see, he's Emmanuel, God with us. He, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. By the way, Jesus has always been. He just didn't get born on planet Earth 2008 years, 18 years ago. He's always been. He is. He is the great I am. And he was born. He, he made his advent. He made his appearing, his physical appearing in, in Bethlehem. As exactly prophesied. Now, how about his second coming? Take your Bible. I want you to see the verses. Turn to, with me, please, to Acts chapter 1. Keep your bookmark in Matthew 1 so we get back there quickly. But Acts chapter 1. What about his, the prophecy concerning his second advent? Or his second coming, in, yet in the future? Well, the Bible says, verse number 9 of Acts chapter 1. And when he had spoken these things... While they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly, verse 10, toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. They were angels, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? 
This same Jesus which is taken up into you, uh, taken up from heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Verse 12 says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, or about 3,000 feet, three quarters of a mile. I've had the privilege of being in Israel now. Karen and Bonnie just got back from there, and they know their, their, their memories are very vivid still, I'm sure. And I know they stood on Mount Valos. They looked down through that valley of Kidron. And can we get a picture of the, uh, can we get that picture of the, the eastern gate up on the screen for a moment? That's just one picture. Of, that's what's called the eastern gate. Now, just beyond that, you can't see it, but just beyond that, when I say just beyond that, I mean closer than from the front road to, to this pulpit right here, you will find the Dome of the Rock, the Temple Mount, the, the Muslim uh, mosque. Now, we can't go in there, us non-Muslims. We used to be able to go in as tourists, but not, not, not any longer for the last number of years now. There's a rock in the middle of that Dome of the Rock. And Islam says in 740 AD or thereabouts that Muhammad ascended from that rock to heaven. They're copycats of everything that's real. And they, that's why it's holy ground. It's the most contested piece of property in the whole world right there. That eastern gate... The Bible gives the prophecy in the Old Testament that Christ would come through that eastern gate. Now, if you follow this, let's, pray, let's put the eastern gate right, 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 right where it's at here. Let's start the eastern gate here, and let's start the Dome of the Rock up on the hillside behind me, about 300 yards or 200 yards. And let's go straight, straight ahead, down through the valley of Kidron. And uh, you just got to visualize this in your mind. There's a, the right due directly in line with this eastern gate is, go ahead and get to the next picture. You see that church right there? That's the Roman Catholic Church. The gate is right up here. Here's the gate. It's just a few hundred yards away, the Valley of Kidron. And then you're looking at the Mount of Olives. Now the Bible says, let me read to you the prophecy of Scripture from 2,400 some years ago. In Zechariah chapter 4 or 14, I just realized I don't have it in my notes, so I have to turn there myself. Zechariah chapter 4. In fact, turn there. You, just, you got Malachi right before Matthew. And then the next book is the next last book in the Bible or the Old Testament is Zechariah chapter 14. Why don't you look at this in case you don't know it? Zechariah 14 and verse number 4. Here's a prophecy some 500 years before Christ came to this earth. Now we read in Acts chapter 1 where he came or where he ascended from. Mount of Olives, that mountainside right there that we're looking at. He ascended from up there. Now follow these words here, verse number four of Zechariah 14. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Now let me give you the deep theological interpretation of what I think is going to happen. His feet is going to stand on that Mount of Olives. That's what's really going to happen. You say, you believe that literally? Yes, I believe that literally. You see, I believe he literally arose up from that, Acts chapter 1, I believe the Bible. He rose up from that mount. The Bible says he's going to come back to that mount. Now listen to what's going to happen. Verse 4, again, of Zechariah 14. Uh, where is it? Upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Very specific. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave. Hey, you see, the, everybody saw that... Uh, Earthquake in Alaska, you see that highway that's just buckled and 
the car dropped down and so forth. You talk about the separation like 200 earthquakes they had on Friday, I guess it was. Wait till you see this earthquake. The Bible says that this mountain shall cleave from the, in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. The half of the mountain shall remove from the north and the half of, the, half of it toward the south. Now, if you follow, here's the, here's the, here's the eastern gate. Right here, you see that Catholic church right there? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, it's factual. Just, uh, it's in direct line with this church. Here's the gate. Here's the Temple Mount. Go back to the other screen, by the way. Go back to the other picture, rather. Eastern. You see the, the white in front of the, the eastern gate? The Muslims in 1600, they built their cemetery there. They said, we're going to keep the Messiah, the Christian Messiah, from coming in this gate. So they walled it up. You see, it's blocked in. Nobody's gone through that gate in 400 years. The Lord says he's going to go through that eastern gate. The Bible says, they said, well, we'll put, we'll put graves. No Christian will walk through an Islamic grave. Well, my Bible tells me there's going to be an earthquake. And that earthquake is going to divide. I mean, it's going to make uh, Alaska earthquakes look like kid stuff, I promise you. And it's going to be a chasm and a division east and west. And that Catholic church happens to be right in direct line. I'm just telling you, I'm not bashing Catholics, I'm just telling you, that's going down, my friends. That's, uh, that's, that's getting divided. And Jesus is walking right through that gate. You say, you really believe that? I absolutely do. Amen. I believe that. You say, that's kind of sensational. The first prophecies were all sensational, and the scholars and the elitists didn't believe, believe it then. And so we see this prophesied places the first advent of Bethlehem, the second advent the Mount of Olives. Let's go on to the prophesied signs. Let me begin to hurry. Let me give you three of them. We're just rapid fire. The prophesied signs. We read again, and I got ahead of myself, but back to Matthew uh, chapter 2. I read verse 2 in the wrong spot there. But we have seen a star in the east, the wise men said. His first coming, he said, he gave a star. That was the direct fulfillment of the prophecy of Numbers chapter 24, written some 1,500 years before the Christ came, the wise men, the Gentile wise men from the Far East. They knew far more than their Jewish counterparts in, right in the backyard of the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw a star in the east, and they went and to where the star stood over where the young child lay, the Bible says. This star in Numbers 24, 17 is prophesied. And I, and I shall see him, Moses said, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come out a, a star out of Jacob. Jacob is another name for Israel. There shall come a star out of Israel, a special star that shall light the way. And a scepter shall rise out of, his, uh, out of Israel. That's a scepter symbolic for a king shall come out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. And so this prophecy was given of the star in this first advent. Not only the star, but back to our text in Matthew chapter 1, just glance at verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son. We see the son. It's not just any son. This is the son of David. We see the chronology before us, verse number 1 of chapter 1. And then we get to verse number 6, and it's very important that we see the genealogy, the lineage of Christ. And Jesse, that's David's father, begat David the king. David begat Solomon, etc., etc., etc. We see this son of David, Isaiah, 740 some years earlier, 
gave this prophecy in Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, that the Messiah would be born out of the seed of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord. And the disciples fast-forwarding in John chapter, excuse me, the Pharisees and Sadducees in John chapter 742, they were supposedly the religious experts of the day, and they were far from it, because they said they agreed with Nathaniel, and they said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? This Jesus that you worship is from northern Israel. He's from Galilee. They were right in that part that he grew up in Galilee area, but they were wrong in the fact that they even quoted the verse right, but they, they misinterpreted. I'm referring to John 7:42, which says, Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David? The answer is yes, the scripture has said that. The prophecy was given that he would be of the seed of David, out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was. So the exact place in the prophecy, 500 years before Christ came to this earth, was prophesied, Bethlehem. The, the exact uh, the, the person that he would be, he'd be the son of David. Prophesied 700 in, in the Psalms a thousand years earlier. This, these, these, uh, the period of time would be prophesied exactly in the fullness of time he would come. That leads me to the third sign, third of several others that we don't have time to go into, but there's the, the prophecy of the, so, the star, the prophecy here in Matthew 1 of the sun, but then the prophecy of the Savior. You see, we worship Jesus. He's the name above every name. His name that saves. Jehovah saves. Yehoshua. Jesus saves. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. So the angel gave the command. He gave it first to Mary, and then later on in the last verse, Joseph followed through that command, and they called his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We see the prophecy given of the Savior. The Savior, why did Jesus come? To be a great teacher? To be a role model? To, to be an avatar to heaven or whatever, what have you? No, he came to be our savior. He came to save man from our sins. For the son of man, he said of himself, has come to seek and save that which is lost. But then we're very, very quickly, very briefly here. Let me give you three prophesied signs in regards to his second coming. The Bible prophesied that their number one would be scoffers. I get to talk to a friendly audience. I'm guessing that everybody... Here this morning, I hope, agrees with me and says, I think he's right. Not that Marty Schott is right, but that the word of God is right. That the, the prophecies are true. But there may be some here and say, you don't really believe this stuff. Isn't the Bible be taken allegorically, mystically? It's not really literal, is it? The Bible says that scoffers, knowing this in 2 Peter 3, 3, a prophecy of the second coming before he comes again, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They're scoffers. I believe, and the Bible teaches, it doesn't matter what I believe, but what's according to the word of God, I agree with it. The Bible says that one day that Christ is going to come in a Catching away a rapture. Oh, sophisticates tell us and uh, know-it-alls tell us, oh, you don't find the word rapture in the Bible. Well, isn't that hunky-dory? Isn't that wonderful? 
find the word rapturo, rapturo, it's a Latin word. It was Latin Vulgate, the common man's Latin for the Bible before there was English, hundreds of years before there was English. There's catching away of the parousia. Well, that's the appearing of the Lord, but the catching away of, of God's children, the Bible speaks about it. And there's many that mock at it and laugh at it, but one day, let me, let me spell it out and make it as simple as I possibly can in case anybody wondering. What I'm telling you is the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 4, that one day the Lord is going to come back in the clouds. It could be today. This would be a good day to do it. There's a lot of clouds in the sky. Amen. And if he comes back, he's going to catch away. He's going to transport all those that are in Christ. We're going to be raptured out of our body. We're going to be taken to heaven. And we're going to dwell with him. He's going to come for his chaste bride, as I already mentioned. And he's going to come back with his chaste bride at least seven years after that fact. And the Bible speaks of it all. There's, but there's scoffers. There's, secondly, there's the prophesied of the second coming that there'll be sleepers. The sleepers. Now, pardon me, I'm not trying to be mean or rude here, but, you know, I'm not the best of preachers, Brother Milton, so I have a lot of people sleep on me when I preach. I don't blame them. If I was them, I might sleep too. But I'm not referring to sleepers in the pulpit. Maybe you, maybe you got, we went to bed late last night. Maybe you watched too much football. I don't know what your problem is, but uh, maybe it's me. It's your problem. I don't know. But back to the sleepers. I'm, uh, the Bible says, Romans chapter 13, and knowing this, that it's now high time to awake out of sleep, spiritually speaking, of course, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. I remember as a young man, being as a teenage boy, I started hearing preaching. I started going to church. And I started hearing preaching about the second coming of Christ. And some preachers preached so fervently that Christ was coming back. I thought, man, I'm never going to graduate from high school. I'm never going to see my 20 years. I'm never going to get married never going to happen. I mean, Christ is going to come back, I mean, like next week. That was like 45 years ago. He still hasn't come. But back then, it seemed so real that I just can't help but feel how much closer his coming is today. He's closer, I know one thing for sure, it's closer, it's nearer today than when I first believed. It's nearer today than when you first believed. Don't be a sleeper. Don't say, oh, I've heard this all my life, and he still hasn't come. In such an hour as you think not, then cometh the Son of Man. Thirdly, in regards to these prophesied signs of the second coming, there's the seekers. Let me give you a verse not on your worksheet here, but First John 2 and end of 2 and chapter 3 reminds us, and every man that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself, even as he is pure. I say, as Revelation says three times, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Are you looking? Are you waiting for his soon coming uh, of the Lord? Well, that brings me to the prophesied certainty Hey, Christ came just exactly like he said he was coming in his first coming. Isaiah 9, 6, 740-some years before, Christ came. The prophet prophesied, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. By the way, do you know any government right now that uh, their king, their president is Jesus? I don't know of any, anyone. There's the prince of this world, the god of this world, Satan is dominant right now in this world. But it's a dual prophecy in Isaiah 9 and 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
And of the increase of his government and kingdom, there shall be no end, the Bible says. And he shall order it. There's going to be a coming thousand-year millennial kingdom reign. That's all those Jehovah false witnesses get so many people in their church. They have a shell of truth stuffed with a lie. And they, they talk about the, the new world order, their version of it, the new Eden. And uh, the fact of the matter is there's going to be a kingdom reign. And Jesus Christ is going to reign on that throne. That's true. It's the first coming. But the second coming, and I've already alluded to Luke 21, 28, but let me just give you a verse and summarize And when these things begin to come to pass, the Bible says, then look up for your redemption, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Just as the Lord came back in his first coming exactly on time, it wasn't happenstance, he didn't come just when he, well, I think this would be a good time to come uh, at the end of, uh, in the middle of Herod's reign and uh, uh, this pox from, no, he had it all planned out. He's got the day, the hour, the minute, the second already planned out before the foundation of the world. He knows exactly when he's coming back to planet Earth. I end with this story. It reminds me of our most famous song that we sing, of course, at Christmas time. It's that Isaac Watts hymn. Isaac Watts lived from 1674 to 1748. He's the son of a poor boy in England. His daddy was in prison for many years for dissenting against the Church of England. He believed the church was corrupt, and his daddy literally, literally went to prison. As a young boy, Isaac Watts would go and sing outside the prison gates songs that he, uh, the prison window where his daddy was prisoned at. And he would sing songs that he would make up and compose. He would later on write over 600 recorded hymns of the faith. We know some of them, O oh God, our help in ages past, when I survey the wondrous cross, but the most famous that he would sing, or rather would play, would be that song that we all know so well. We sang the first verse this morning. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. He came the first time, and people don't even know it 2,000 years after the fact. You might have missed him the first time, but he's coming the second time. The same scriptures that prophesied his first coming prophesied his second coming. Right to the exact detail, the exact prophesied the places, the, the period of time, as in the days of Noah. The, the signs, the certainty, it's all recorded, just like the first re- coming of Christ is all recorded. And so Isaac Watts wrote those words, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. They didn't all receive him, did they, 2,000 years ago? Millions still have not received him today. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. The second verse, he recorded these words, Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. The psalmist ended with the last psalm, Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. This hour and 15 minutes now, I'm looking at the clock. This last 74 minutes has been a time where we gather together as God's children, save people, we come out from the world. We come to this ecclesia, this called-out assembly. We come to worship him that, uh, that uh, rules heaven and earth. That's coming again. We come to worship him, that we're the one that we're going to go be with as his chaste bride forever and ever and ever. That's for the children of God. But for those that know not, those that do not receive Christ as Savior, there's everlasting for us that are saved, for myself that's been saved by his grace, there's everlasting salvation, everlasting heaven. 
but there's an everlasting hell, everlasting damnation for those that never call upon Jesus Christ to be saved. I want to invite you, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, today you can say, I do, to Jesus Christ, and he will receive you unto, unto himself if you'll call upon him and him alone, just like you did with your spouse one day. You forsook all others and kept yourself only unto that person. As long as you both still live, you forsake all others. Jesus, come into my heart. You are the power. You are the person. You are the praise. You are the priority. You're the one I want to serve. I want to live with you forever and ever and ever. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, as we, some churches call this the season of this Advent season, I guess we don't use that language much around here, I suppose. We don't hardly even know what the word Advent means, so we talk about your coming. But Lord, I pray, Lord, that you might speak to Christian hearts this morning. My guess is, Lord, that there's no scoffers in this room this morning. But there could be sleepers, spiritual sleepers. Lord, we don't know when you're going to return, but we know that your return is nearer than when we were first believed. Help us to be cognizant. Help us to purify ourselves, knowing that your coming is near. Lord, may we sing joy to the, the, to the world the Lord has come with, with meaning in our heart again. We'll thank you for it. I pray you bless in our moments of invitation. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. It's 133. 133.